Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Ken Holsberry, the preaching minister at the 10th and Broad Church. Let's tune in now for Ken's message. Well, today, two great opponents are going to battle it out. And they're led by two great captains. One of them even calls themselves a kingdom. And I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. And I'm not talking about the Chiefs. Or who's that other team? We don't even care about them. I'm talking about two kingdoms that have been at war with each other since the beginning and will be until the end. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's dear son. Over the weekend, I've had people praying and this morning I've had people praying because those kingdoms are going to be in conflict today. We're going to see that in a real way this morning. And uh, I've been conscious of a passage from the Old Testament. Said Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Would you say that with me? Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against their enemies who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And so would you be the singers? who go ahead of the army of God this morning, giving him praise and letting God bring the victory. God bless you this morning. Come, Jesus, come in every sense of that phrase. If you'll take out your outline, we're going to do a little bit of a review as we get started. This is the fourth lesson in this series on how to protect your family from spiritual attacks. And in the very first lesson, we spent some time in Ephesians chapter 1. We acknowledged that the battle begins on our knees. That's where it starts, on your knees in prayer. And there's a prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. Knowing begins with kneeling. Kneeling before God and asking for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that we will know God better. And specifically that we'll know some important things that are listed in Ephesians chapter 1. That we will know the hope that we have in Him. Hope that drives away all hopelessness. That drives away all despair. That drives away all anxiety. That drives away anything that brings you down. That we would know the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Kneeling begins, leads us to knowing that we would know the riches, the resources that God has in his storehouse, his inexhaustible storehouse. They never run out. They never run dry. The Lord has been bringing rain to us this month. And for the first time in two and a half years, my ponds are full and overflowing 
That's God is the one who can do that. And he can do that in any and every area of your life. His resources and his riches are inexhaustible. And he wants you to know that, brothers and sisters. He wants you also to know the great power that is at your disposal. God is the most powerful one in the universe. Every single thing that exists, visible and invisible, everything that exists, exists because he spoke and his words are so powerful that what he spoke came into being. He is powerful and that power is at your disposable disposal and it is the very same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. We sang about that in, in a song just a few minutes ago. He also wants you to know the authority that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you go on your knees and you get to know God better, he wants you to know that you have authority. You have authority because you are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms right this very minute. I don't understand how it works because I see you and you're sitting in a seat and you can reach out and touch the seat and your feet are on the floor. But somehow, brothers and sisters, and I believe it in faith, you are also seated with the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the father and everything is being brought under his feet. And so if it's under his feet and you're seated with him, it's under your feet, too. Amen. So you have authority. He gave you that authority. When he gave the great commission, I believe that was for the disciples then and for the disciples today. And so he wants you to know those things. And I've been praying that over you from Ephesians chapter one. That was lesson one. Didn't you like it being re-preached to you? I'm going to re-preach them all this morning. The second lesson, we talked about the fact that this battle is very, very real. There is a spiritual war that is raging around us. We're living in a time in which the spiritual atmosphere has changed. I sense it. You sense it. All people with any spiritual antenna sense it. The spiritual atmosphere has changed. Satan is raising his head. He is rearing his head in blatant and bold ways that I haven't seen in my lifetime. Demons and spirits are enticing and confusing and enslaving people around us, especially young people, because there is a war going on. And much, if not most, of what we are seeing and what we are experiencing is not behavioral. It is spiritual. That is why we need spiritual weapons and spiritual to tools to fight a spiritual Batter, battle. Spiritual problems require spiritual answers. And so as the church, we have got to wake up to what is going on around us. Wake up to what the enemy is doing. Wake up to what God is doing and get into battle with him. Starts on our knees. It starts with our family. It starts with us, not just our physical family, but our spiritual family, this church that we will go about doing what Jesus came to do, what he sent his disciples out to do, and that is to destroy the works of the devil. That's what Jesus came to do, to destroy the works of the devil, to set 
the captives free, to release those who are oppressed, to open the eyes of those who are blind, to preach the good news of the gospel, to declare that this and every year in the future is the year of God's favor. That's the message. That's what Jesus came to do, what he commissioned his disciples to do. That was lesson two. The battle is very real. Lesson three is we introduced a really important spiritual truth. This idea of giving ground to the enemy. Giving ground to the enemy. That Satan and his malevolent forces can influence our lives when we give him ground. When we give him room to work. And that idea comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, where we are warned by Paul not to give the devil even a foothold. And that word means place. It means ground. We don't want to give the devil even a foothold in our life to gain ground and to gain influence and to gain a place where he can work for harm and evil in our lives. How do we give the devil a foothold? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we give the devil a foothold? How do we give him ground? How do we give him permission or influence to work in our life and in our family's life? And we're going to use an acrostic that I've learned from a, a ministry called Deeper Walk Ministry. The acrostic is the word soul, but you've got to spell it out because it has an extra L. So it's soul, okay? So we got, we're going to look at our soul today. In more ways than one, we're going to look at our soul today. And we're going to look at how we give ground to Satan. How we give him a place. How we give him a foothold. And the S stands for sin. The S stands for sin. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. When we sin, we open up our lives to increased influence from the enemy and what I like to call his minions. And if we continue to sin, if we remain in sin, if we wallow in sin, if we live in sin, we just open up all kinds of ground for him to go to work in us and in our families. So what do we do? Because we all sin. But God in his grace and mercy has made a way. The sins are nailed to the cross. We get to go to God our Father, and he is faithful and he is just. And when we confess, when we agree, we talked about that, to confess sin is to agree with God, that was wrong, that was sin, that missed the mark, that was rebellion against you and your ways, that was disobedience. When we confess, we are agreeing with God. And he says he is faithful and just. He will cleanse us. He will wash those sins away. He will cleanse us. The work of Jesus on the cross will be activated in our life once again when we confess and when we repent. Because God is so faithful. And that means that every time I sin, I need to be going to God. That means I need to to routinely, anytime, every time the Holy Spirit convicts me. When I'm aware of what I did or what I didn't do, 
Sins of, we call them sins of commission and sins of omission. Every time I need to stop then and there. Don't keep going on. Don't act like it's no big deal. Stop then and there. Repent and confess. I think you should do it out loud. I think there is power in speaking out loud. And God says he will forgive you. That's something I practice. I've, I've, I've learned to practice that. It helps me win spiritual battles on a daily basis. One of the messages from the gospel, from the gospel of 1 John is that you will never be sinless, but you can sin less. And one of the ways you'll do that is that as you become aware of your sin and you confess it and you repent of it, it, it changes your spiritual atmosphere. And God goes to work in you. And so if you need a refresher on that, you can go and listen to that sermon from a couple of weeks ago. We're going to continue now. And I called it four ways that that we give God ground. There's really five, but we had already done the sin. So the O. This is something that I don't know that I've ever talked about in church. But the O, a way that we give ground to Satan is participation in the occult. I don't know if you know what we mean when we say the occult. I'm going to give some examples here in just a minute. But just as we get started, participating in the occult is practices that involve connecting in some way with the supernatural and the paranormal. And it happens all the time. All over the place in all kinds of ways. And when you participate in anything connected with the occult, you are giving ground to Satan. You're giving him more than just a foothold. When you practice, when you participate in what is called the occult, you are to use a Bible phrase, you are participating with demons. Now, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. Paul says to those Christians and to us that he does not want them to participate with demons. Now, if it were not possible to participate with demons, Paul would not have had to say, don't participate with demons, brothers and sisters. It's a possibility. It's real. And it happens. Now, in that specific context, Paul was pointing to something that they were doing. They were going to a temple where another god was being worshipped. And they were participating with the demons because the demons are behind those gods. They were eating meat that had been sacrificed, that had been offered. And, and Paul talks about the, that they do not need to participate with demons. But there are lots of ways that we participate with them. We don't go to temples anymore. But there's all kinds of temples to the gods in our culture. In all kinds of ways that people participate with them. Deuteronomy chapter 18 lists some of the things that God tells his people to have nothing to do with. Don't have anything to do with it, God says. He gives a list. Galatians chapter 5 in the NLT actually translates one of those works of the flesh. 
as participation with demons. So what are we talking about here? When you are participating with demons, when you engage in the occult practices like a seance. Now, here, I'm going to read some of these folks, and I want you to know, here's what's happening in the church. We haven't talked about this stuff. And our kids have been opened up to a lot of this stuff. And we, because we have been so neglectful of the spiritual realm, and so because of some theology we had that just said this stuff doesn't even exist anymore. That happened back in that day, or it happens in other countries. Because of bad theology and because of neglect of the spiritual realm, we have opened up a lot of folks to demons. And they don't even know it because they think it's fun, or they think it's games, or they think it won't hurt anything because there's nothing real here. Folks, it is real. It is dangerous. God said, do not have anything to do with it. And from things I'm learning and people I am hearing from, you would be amazed at the number of people who are sitting in churches every Sunday just like you who have dabbled in the occult. And it has given Satan not just, it doesn't just open a door, it opens the garage door. Because there is active spiritual participation going on here. So things like a seance, things like horoscopes, games like Dungeons and Dragons, secret societies, palm reading, tarot cards, witchcraft, which I'm discovering that witchcraft is a big deal, especially on college campuses. Psychic readings. Games that people play at slumber parties, like light as a feather or a Ouija board. And even a new way, I guess, in the last few decades is video games that simulate spiritual things, that simulate the occult. That's just a short list. The list is long. And any participation in those things is a participation with demons. And again, too many Christians are dabbling in it, thinking it's harmless, that there's nothing behind it, but there is something behind it because the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle are real and they're dangerous and they give ground to Satan. I'm going to tell you something. I had my first introduction to the occult with my youth group on a Sunday night. After church. That's not where that's supposed to happen. That's exactly where it happened. We all, after church, went to somebody's house. And we're hanging out like you do after church with your youth group. And somebody said, hey, I got this Ouija board. It is really cool. Let's, let's, let's play. Because it's something to play. I remember everything that happened that night. It was real. It was freaky. It freaked us out. It freaked me out. A lot of what happens in the occult is you gain secret knowledge. And I'm telling you, that night, there was knowledge that was shared that about my family that no one knew. It was real. I have never forgotten it. 
Now, I didn't know for a long time what I had opened myself up to. But thank God I have become aware and I have repented of that. And I have, I'm going to talk about how we deal with some of this stuff in a minute. But it is real. And again, it happened with me with my youth group after church on a Sunday night. Hear the word of the Lord, folks. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists. For you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Don't give ground to Satan. Don't give him a foothold. Don't play around with this stuff, folks. Okay, let's move on. The U stands for unforgiveness. We're examining our soul. How do we let Satan in? These are very, very common ways that people give ground to Satan. The U stands for unforgiveness. This is a huge issue for Christians. Again, People I'm reading and listening to who have a lot more experience in this than I do say for Christians, this is one of the top ways that we do not obey God, follow his teachings and that we give ground to Satan is we're just unwilling to forgive. Throughout scripture, God ties our receiving his forgiveness directly to whether we are willing to give forgiveness. Right? What does the Lord's prayer say? Forgive us of our sins. How? Say it out loud. As we forgive others. That's not the only place in scripture. That the Lord ties. Our receiving his forgiveness. To whether or not we are willing to give forgiveness. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I want us to go a little bit deeper into this. Because one of the, the Greek words for forgiveness, I mean, one of the meanings of the Greek word that's used there is to loose something, to, to set it loose. When we forgive someone, it is like we have been holding on to them. And in forgiving them, we set them loose. Here's why that's so important. Because when we hold on to them, my uncle one time caught a raccoon. And he put that raccoon in a cage. And that raccoon went crazy. It was demon possessed. It was the squirrel that went berserk, except it was a raccoon that went berserk. And he kept it for weeks Thinking it would calm down. It never calmed down. Folks, that image that you may have in your mind of my uncle's wild raccoon in a cage. When you hold on to unforgiveness. And when you are unwilling to let someone loose. When you hold on to them. What you are doing is bringing all that into your life. You're bringing that into your life. And you gotta, you gotta let it go. Because it's chains and it's bindings that you are tying yourself to that. And so God is not being cruel. He's not sitting there waiting to say, oh, I don't have to forgive him because he hadn't forgiven so-and-so. No, God always in his grace and mercy wants what's best for us. And when we hold on to unforgiveness, 
when we are unwilling to let go of some past hurt, something that somebody did, some way they mistreated us or somebody we love, some way that they hurt us, when we are unwilling to let that go, we're just binding ourselves to all kinds of spiritual turmoil. And it gives the enemy a foothold in your life. It's a huge deal. I know of one of our sisters who really has dealt with this and it has brought incredible freedom to her life. If I had had the time, I would have asked her to share that story. I want you, I want to go a little bit deeper. I want you to think about the most famous parable that Jesus told about this. He told a parable about a, a very, very wealthy man who owned a huge debt. A debt that just could not be paid. And the king forgave him of that debt. Wiped it clean. Didn't hold it. Loosed it. Okay, that man who had just been forgiven then went out and he found another guy who owed him just a tiny bit. And he just would not let go of that debt. And he, he was going to wring it out of the guy. The king found out about it. Okay, here's where I want us, to, want us to pay attention to what happens. I had never paid attention to this before. The king found out about it. What did the king do? He got the man who he had forgiven, who was unwilling to forgive. And it says that he sent him to the tormentors so he could be tormented. Now, in, in a lot of your versions, the word is translated not tormentors, but jailers, because that's the context. It seems to make sense in the parable. But the word behind that is, and I think it's spiritual, and I think it's true, when you are unwilling to forgive... God is going to turn you over to the torment. Torment you. They're going to terrorize you. They do it in all kinds of ways. And as long as you hold on to it, you just let that wild raccoon in. You got to loose it. Because it's one of the important ways that we give ground to Satan. So sin, the occult, unforgiveness. I hope the Lord is speaking to you this morning. The first of our two L's is lineage. What we're talking about here is generational sin. The iniquities of our ancestors is what the Bible routinely calls it. And the Bible's clear about it and takes it very seriously. Leviticus chapter 26 verse 40 says, But if they will confess their sins... And the sins of their ancestors. Okay. If they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Their unfaithfulness and their hostility toward me. Then I will remember their covenant. So it's a very biblical thing for us to do. To be aware of the sins of our ancestors. And the hold that they have on us. The consequences that come to us. The impact that still has on us. And confess that. There is a spiritual law in place. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 9. That says. The sins of the father. Will be visited on the children. To how far? The third and the fourth generation. That's a spiritual law that God is recognizing. That the sins of the fathers will be visited on the, on the children to the third and the fourth generation. And do you know what, folks? 
I think if we just look at our lives and we look at our families, we see that that's true. It's true. It's a reality. The sins of my parents, the sins of my grandparents affect me. In some really practical ways because they're the ones who raised me and they're the ones who taught me and, and stuff going on in their life started going on in my life. We even see in, in psychology and that kind of thing that there can be people who don't even know anything about their grandparents or their great grandparents. And you start looking at things and they repeat patterns and behavior that they didn't even know anything about. It's because there is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual reality that is going on all the time and it affects our lives. And the sins of our ancestors get visited on us to the third and the fourth generation. We see the consequences of alcoholism. Alcoholism that just runs rampant in families, generation after generation after generation. We see the spiritual consequences of divorce that tears our families apart. And affects children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. We see the horrible consequences of sexual abuse that runs in families. Did you know there's also some sins that are not as dramatic in my family? One place that I have become very aware of this is my family has a generational sin of jealousy and envy. That's something the Bible talks about quite often. Works of the flesh, sins of the flesh that God doesn't want us to have anything to do with. We all knew that my mama was just a jealous person. Everybody in the family knew it. And we saw the ways that that jealousy hindered her. It really restricted her life and her ability to receive love from people in our family because of jealousy and envy. That is a that is a sin that I fight. There's some sins I would tell you about that I'm not embarrassed by. I mean, I just say, no, this is a reality. Matter. For some reason, I'm embarrassed by that one. That, that I suffer, that, I, that I'm plagued with jealousy and envy. It's a generational sin in my family. It's been passed down to the third and to the fourth generation. And you know what? They'll keep getting passed down. Because each new generation has another third and fourth generation. And it'll keep getting passed down. And it'll keep having consequences in your family. Until somebody in that family stands up. And in the grace and the mercy and the power and the authority of Jesus. Put a stop to it. And deal with it. Confess it. Repent of it. And go through some things we're going to talk about. Because here's the beauty of our Lord. See, he's restricted the power of sin to only three or four generations. I think it'd be worse than that if it weren't for his mercy and he's restricted it. But here's what he has not restricted. Because the verse goes on to say, but. And anytime you read but in the Bible, just rejoice because something good is coming. The sins will be visited to the children to the third and fourth generation. But for those who love God and obey his commandments... It will be passed on to them. How far? To the thousandth generation. Can you even imagine the thousandth generation? Last night, Paula was reading this beautiful gift that her mom had given them years ago when their grandmother turned 80. And it was letter after letter after letter that people had written about her grandmother. And it just got us to thinking 
about this incredible spiritual heritage that we have been blessed with. We've been blessed with it not because we're good or better. We've been blessed with it because somewhere in our past, some people dealt with some things they needed to deal with and committed their lives to the Lord and lived their life in the church. And they have passed on that blessing generation after generation after generation. And I pray for my grandkids and I pray for my great-grandkids and I pray for my great-great-great-grandkids to the thousandth generation that they would experience the love and the power of God. And if you are experiencing it, I'm convinced it's because somebody in your past was praying it as well. So lineage, generational sin, is one of the ways that Satan gets a foothold in our families, and it is a foothold he does not want to give up. The last L. Stands for lies. When we believe the lies of Satan, and we'll talk about this in a different sermon, that this is just his main tool, folks. This is the way that Satan gets at us. He lies to us. He's been disarmed. He's a toothless lion. But he has a mighty powerful roar that he intimidates us with, and he lies to us. It's exactly what he did to Eve. He lied to her and he said, God's holding out on you. What he said is not true. He lied to her and she believed it. And look where we are. When you, when he lies to you and you believe it, look what it does to you and your family. When he lies and he says, you can't trust God and you believe it. Something happens spiritually in you when that happens. When he lies to you and says, God doesn't love you. You're unlovable. When he lies to you and says, you've done way too much stuff in your past. There's no way God will forgive you. When we believe those lies, when he says you're worthless, and when he uses the voice of people in our family to say those lies to us, folks, something happens when we believe those lies. We give Satan ground. That is why Jesus said the truth will set you free. God's truth will set you free because lies create bondage. Believing the devil's lies keeps you in prison. And when I think of spiritual prison, people who live their lives in spiritual and emotional bondage, I think of them as being behind bars. But here's the reality. The bars are bars that them and the devil have created. God didn't create those bars. They live behind bars that they have built up. And that bar it might be sexual sin or it might be some other kind of sin and, and, and you build a bar and you're putting yourself in prison. That bar might be a lie that you're believing that Satan has just been whispering relentlessly into your ear and you believe it and it causes you to have less faith in God and that's just a bar that puts you in prison. That bar might be when you dabbled in the occult and it was just fun and games, but it wasn't. And another bar got built and you're in prison. That bar might be when you are unwilling to forgive a family member and another bar is built. We put ourselves behind bars and we do not experience the freedom and the life that God intends for us. And Jesus came to set people free. And if the problem is sin, then we need to repent and confess. 
and you'll experience freedom. If the problem is the occult, we need to renounce our participation with demons and get free. If the problem is for unforgiveness, we need to forgive and get free. If the problem is lies, we need to believe the truth and get free. These are the primary ways that we give ground to the devil. So what can we do about it? Now, what I'm about to share is very brief, and it's just the surface. There's a lot more that needs to be said. But I didn't want to give you the problem and not give you some kind of solution. So, four C's that you can use to reclaim ground that you have surrendered to the enemy, and that is... That is causing you to lose your freedom. Causing you to experience the works of the devil. When Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And it's not a formula. But it's just an easy way to remember it. The first C, and we've talked about it a lot, is to confess. We've talked about it extensively. I won't keep going into that. But it's, it's, it's a big, big deal in scripture. It's one, again, that we don't talk about enough. We're called to confess our sins. It needs to be something we routinely do. It needs to be something we do as quickly as we can. Confess is the first C. Maybe that I confess the lie that I've just not really believed you're good, Lord. Maybe that I confess that I've been holding a grudge. It may be that I confess that in my family, jealousy is a real problem. It may be that I confess that I participated with demons when I played that Ouija board. So confess. The second C is to cancel. After we confess to the Lord, we need to cancel that ground, that permission, that influence that we have given to the enemy. You might say, Lord, on the basis of my confession and my agreement with you, I cancel the claim of the devil because of my agreement with him. So we don't just confess, but we we cancel. We are reclaiming that ground when we do that. The third C is to command. That with the authority that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, I've preached it and I'll keep talking about it. I believe we have more authority than we ever know that we have in Jesus Christ to deal with our enemy. Heard someone say the other day, the biggest kept secret in the world is that the devil and his followers are really afraid of you. Because they know who you belong to and they know the power of the one you belong to. And when you call their bluff, they have to flee. We're going to talk about that in this series as well. We have authority to command in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no name in heaven or earth by which men can be saved. There is no name more powerful than the name of Jesus. Don't ever take his name lightly. Don't ever use his name in vain. It is too precious and too powerful. But boy, you use it when it needs to be used. And you command. You command Satan... You read it today. 
What did, what did, he, what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. We command him to leave. We command his foul and evil spirits and demons to leave. And it can be done as simply as saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to get behind me. If you know what the spirit is, the spirit of jealousy, you can command the spirit of jealousy to leave. The fourth C is to commit. To commit your life to Jesus once again. There's a whole passage where Jesus talks about they cleaned out the house and got rid of the spirit and seven more came. We want to commit our life to Jesus. We want to commit our homes to Jesus. We want to commit our souls to Jesus. Commit that specific part of your life that you are dealing with to Jesus. Lord, I recommit my life to you in in this specific part of my life. I ask you to cleanse me and to heal me and to fill me with your spirit. And again, I think these things need to be done out loud. When I first started bringing some of this stuff up to you in this summer, I said pretty dramatic thing to you that I had become convicted that I only did one third of the things that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. I only preached, but he said, heal the sick. And he said, cast out the demons. And I said, the church has got to start learning how to cast out demons. I also said, this is not weird. This is not freaky. Well, here's what I meant. This is what I'm talking about. We have the power and the authority in our lives, in our houses, in our homes, in our families, in our church to say no to Satan and to push back the ground that he has claimed and that we have surrendered. So we examine our souls for ways that we have given ground to Satan. And then we go through the four C's. It's not weird. It's very biblical. It is straightforward and it works. I practice this. And I'm seeing more freedom in my life. In little ways that I didn't even know I didn't have freedom. In little ways that I'm experiencing the abundant life of Christ that I didn't even know I wasn't experiencing it. Because we walk in a certain way so long we think that's normal and that's the way it is. But it doesn't have to be. I have more joy in my life. There was a period of time I told Paul and others close to me, I felt like I had lost my joy. I have joy in my life again. I have more peace. It showed up in a very specific way last night. Lately, he's been giving me more patience. Doesn't affect me like it was. But the fruit that I'm experiencing that is making the biggest difference in my life, because I'm practicing these tools, I'm using these weapons, is that I am for the first time really in my life participating on a daily basis in a what we call a quiet time with the Lord. Now, it may shock you for your preacher to confess to you that for the vast majority of my life, that's just been something that I just felt resistance to. I, I, I just did not do that. Now, I study the Bible a lot. I want you to know that. And I pray a lot for you. But to sit down and dedicate a period of time every day, maybe several times a day, to just me and the Lord, I just really, I, I didn't do that. I never could develop that discipline. I always said, oh, I'm just not a disciplined person. It's a lie that I was believing. There are other things going on that the Lord showed me, but, but that is one of the ways that I have experienced more freedom and more joy and more peace 
by practicing these things that I'm teaching you, it's making a difference in my life. It's changing things in me as I'm abiding with Christ. So, where do we go from here? This is a long sermon. Anybody need to stand up and take a little break? Poor Diane up there in kid zone. Pray for her because I'm not through yet. I grew up in the woods. I love the woods. My soul kind of comes alive when I get in the trees. We grew up in East Texas in the woods hunting. Grew up in the woods playing in the, in, right next to my house. Jumping over creeks, swinging off vines. You know, I, we, I had so much fun in the woods. Chopping down trees. And I learned to walk in the woods by watching my daddy and my pops and my papa. That's how I learned to walk in the woods. Because you've got to pay attention when you're walking in the woods. Well, a few weeks ago, we got to go over near Tyler. Since JP and Holly had little Cooper, they didn't come here for Christmas. So we went to them and we rented a little cabin and it was out in the woods. That was just good for me. And it was cold. I like good cold winter days. And me and Brent and Hudson. And for a while, McKinley, but pretty quickly, she said, I go inside. We went out in the woods. We romped around and we... Did all kinds of things. And, and as we were going through the woods, I was watching. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd step over a, a place where I saw under the leaves that it was a hole. Or, or I'd step on a little sapling. I don't know if you know what that is. Just a little bitty tiny tree that's just starting to grow. I'd step on a little sapling that was in the path to make room for Hudson. Or, or I'd step on a log and then kind of jump off of it. He was behind me. I didn't know. But later Brent said, Dad... He said, Hudson never took his eye off you. He watched everything that you were doing. And he did exactly what he saw you do. See, I wasn't even conscious that I was doing that. I was conscious I was doing it to help Hudson. I wasn't conscious that I was doing it because he was watching me. I was just trying to protect him. I was trying to pay attention in case there was something that was going to hurt him or get him tripped up. See, that's the picture of what I'm talking about in this sermon series. You can protect your family from this in the spiritual realm. You can protect your immediate family, your extended family, your church family. You can watch your step. You can pay attention to what's going on. So that your family won't get hurt. And won't get tripped up. Because folks, there are snakes in the woods. There are snakes in the woods. Now, there's not a snake under every log. I know that. There's not a demon under every rock. I know that. But there's snakes in the woods. We've got to watch our step. We've got to learn how to navigate and how to walk in this world.
so that we have victory, so that we don't get taken down, so that we don't give ground to Satan, so that our families are protected and healthy and vibrant and alive in the Lord Jesus Christ and living up to his potential for us. So what do we do next? I want to lead you in prayer. And I want to ask you to examine your soul. I want to get you to take out your outline. Take out something to write with. Because I've been praying that the Lord is going to speak to you right now. He's going he's to do some work with you. And so I want you to examine yourself. We're going to do it pretty quickly. You can do this later. Or if you want to talk with me or Paula about it, we'd be glad to do this with you as well. But right now, what is the Holy Spirit convicting you of? What is a sin that you need to confess? What's a sin that you have not confessed? Be honest with yourself and with God and write that down. Is there any place in your past or even your present that you've been playing around and participating with demons in the occult? And you may have thought it was nothing or you may have known it was something and you did it anyway. But if if that's true for you, you need to write that down. Ask God to let you know in what way you've done that. Is there anybody you need to forgive? This is a hard one. There's a lot of stuff going on here for folks. We may need to spend some more time on, maybe personally, but there's somebody the Lord's just reminding you of right now that you need to forgive them. You need to loose them so you can lose yourself. Write that down. Write their name down. Are there any just really blatant sins that you know of that that is generational sin in your family? It's just been passed down from your grandparents to your parents to you. and That's just the way our family is. If that's the case, write that down. And are there any lies that you have been believing? Just things that are not true. Things that Satan has tricked you into believing about yourself and about God. Because we believe lies, sometimes we're not aware that it's a lie. So this is one you probably need to spend some time on asking God, where, what lies am I believing? And with that written down in front of you, I want to ask you to join me in prayer. 
So get yourself in a posture that's appropriate for you. And just pray with me. Word it in your own way or repeat what I say. But Lord, I have sinned in the following ways. And name those and agree with the Lord that they're sin. And I ask you to be faithful to your gracious promise that you will forgive me and cleanse me. And now, Lord, I cancel the agreements that I made with the enemy. It may be through sin, it may be through the occult, but I cancel the agreements that I made. I cancel the permission I gave to the enemy to work in my life. And then I command any demons or evil spirits that I allowed into my life to leave me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I commit my life fully to you. In obedience to the Father. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And I commit these specific areas of my life to you. And I commit to live and walk in the light and in fellowship with you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Those are tools for you to wear in your tool belt. Those are weapons for you to keep sharp and to use in this battle. And if some stuff's come up that you want to talk about, like I said, Paul and I will be glad to spend some time with you. Don't hesitate to contact us. But I'd ask you to stand... And I just ask you to repeat with me, to say this prayer with me that will be on the screen. Would you join me? May the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is mightier than all the host of Satan and more glorious than all the host of heaven, abide with me in my going out and my coming by day and by night, at morning and at evening, at all times, in all places, may it protect and defend me from the wrath of evildoers, from the assaults of evil spirits, from foes visible and invisible, from the snares of the devil, from all passions that entice the soul and body. May it guard and protect and deliver me. Amen.